everyone, welcome back to another episode of Here for the Crack with me, Emma Neil. I hope you're all doing well. Last week's episode was all about heartbreak, so I thought this week I'd talk a little bit about love. I feel like I actually have loads of podcast topics to talk about that are to do with love. This one's going to be more kind of to do with kind of like love addiction. Not even in a negative way, but more just like how our brain responds to love and like, you know, when you're first seeing someone and the dopamine levels are at an all-time high. Yeah, I just want to talk a little bit about that. I love love. Everybody loves love. So we're not coming at this from a place of healing. I feel like that's what you're all expecting from me after a breakup to come on in here and be like, love is the devil and I will never fall in love again. (laughs) No, I'm not in that mindset whatsoever. I mean, I won't be dating for a long time, don't get me wrong. I feel like anytime I come out of a relationship, it takes me a long time to even be interested in a boy again. I mean, we kiss or whatever, yeah, but see, from the whole dating aspect is what I'm talking about, no interest in going on a date and like putting any effort into anyone, we'll say for a good six months. I feel like it's just nice to have this time to kind of heal and work on yourself. When I say work on yourself as well, I don't mean that in a hyper-productive kind of way. Like, sometimes working on yourself is just chilling out and living life a little bit slower. And also, sometimes it's just, like, using that time that you... The time and energy that you put into that relationship, into other relationships, and into doing things that you like and you enjoy. Like, I've been reading a lot of books. Guys, I am on book number eight of the year. And we're on the 2nd of March. I'm so impressed with myself. I'm not even saying that in a showy off way. I'm just genuinely bamboozled at myself. Like my goal was, I set my reading target goal to be 20 books for the year. And it looks like I'm going to get to 20 books before it even hits summer at this point. It's very surreal to me. You know, a few years ago, I remember looking at people, specifically Sinead Hegarty on Instagram and seeing her post about all the time, all the different books she was reading and all her book highlights. And I just remember thinking, I want to do that. Like, I want that to be me. How can I make that me? And that's when I started my reading journey. And it started off slow, don't get me wrong. Like it started off literally a book every two months and then eventually I was reading a book a month. And now I'm just so happy that I was able to make that me. If you're listening to this and you were like I was and you were, you know, not reading at all and wanting to get back into it and you just didn't know where to start, you didn't think you'd be able to do it, you most definitely can. It does take time. You do have to retrain your brain, but you will get quicker at reading. Just like start with really easy reads and stuff that you really enjoy. You know, if you find an author that you really like, literally just get all of their books. If there's like certain topics and like non-fiction books that you're really interested in, get a load of them. Also, I think a really good way of keeping yourself motivated is to throw in really short, easy reads between long ones. It can get so demotivating, right? See, say you're reading like a 500 page book. It's taken you forever to get through. You're on like month two and you're like, I feel like giving up at this point. And then if you move straight on to another really long read, you're going to end up literally spending the whole year on these two books. So just chuck in like a wee 150 page book, chuck in a poetry book. Poetry books are the easiest fucking things to read in the entire world. And they're so heartwarming. So yeah, that's my big tip for keeping yourself motivated. Throw in little like 150, 200 page books alternating between. This is an advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Guys, I'm not going to lie to you. I feel like recently my emotions have just been all over the place, like completely haywire. 
And I know in myself it's because I'm bottling things up, I'm letting things stress me out and I'm spiraling about them, I'm not talking about it, I'm just sitting there overthinking them, letting them stress me out even more and as a result I'm irritable, I'm getting angry at things I shouldn't really be getting angry at. I'm not able to be present and be in the moment because all I'm thinking is how stressed out I am about certain things. I know I'm not alone in this. I know this is something that so many of us face. We feel like we don't want to talk to our friends and family members about things that are stressing us out because they might seem small or insignificant in comparison to other things. Or we might just not even know how to go about initiating that conversation or opening up in that way to certain people and just getting the words out and that's why therapy can be such an amazing safe space to get things off of your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down and causing you to feel like this. I have benefited from therapy so much in the past and one of the main things I think therapy brought to my life was just an immediate safe space where I knew it was time for me to talk, it was time for me to open up and talk about my stressors. I didn't have to have this like awkward kind of chat where I was like hey I want to talk about this or like not really knowing how to go about that with a friend or a family member it just is that safe space for you to open up about these things straight away and there's no faffing around and I think dedicating that time each week and allowing that space for you to open up in that way is literally the most beneficial thing for your mental health because just getting it out there takes away half of the stress straight away and then not only that but you talk it through you rationalize it you learn you know different better ways you can cope with these stressors also how to develop healthy boundaries and healthy routines and things that are going to be preventative for these stressors in the first place therapy honestly just empowers you to be the best version of yourself and I mean who doesn't want that If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible and completely suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. My listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash crack. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash crack, C-R-A-I-C. And thank you so much to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. In the longer ones and it will really keep you motivated because you you can finish those ones in literally two days if you want like you can sit down and read 50 pages in the morning 50 pages at night I know when you're first starting out in your journey you won't be reading that amount but yeah you can have them done in two days but at the start just start off slow start off with like 10 pages in the morning 10 pages at night and then before you know it you'll be able to literally read like 30 within that same time frame now that you've trained your brain I think it's really good for your concentration I think it's like almost a bit of a form of meditation and escapism And I also just love knowing that I'm always learning. Like I hate feeling like I'm just really stagnant. Do I have anything to update you on from this week? I feel like I had a very boring uni-centred week. Do you know what I have really realised? So last week my mum was away in London and she ended up being away for the whole week from Sunday to Sunday. And I just really, I really miss my mum's presence when she's not here. Like my house isn't the same without her and she just makes me 
she just puts a smile on my face every morning. When I don't see her in the morning or when I am just in the house on my own, because she works from home, so like I would be in the house a lot with her. And when I'm just on my own, it's just not the same. I was taking myself out to cafes every day because I was like, it's not the same without my mum. My mum's really got one of those like auras or energies about her where she just lifts people's mood. Like I could come down in a grumpy mood, but then my mum is like, good morning, darling. And she's just like so... I don't know she's so she's so like that all the time and I'm just like well first of all how do you do it but second of all thank you <laughs> I love you so yeah I'm very glad she's home I feel like that week you know a breakup thrown in with your mum being away and then also what is it about males just pretending to be incompetent with everything when the mother leaves the house like I'm fucking sick of it I'm sorry <laughs> dad and Matthew if you're listening to this get your shit together. You're not five years old. You know how to cook yourself dinner. There's also just a lot of little things I feel like you realise when your mum leaves, like how much they do in the background. This is a whole other topic in itself that I have been thinking of talking about for a while now. And it's all to do with like kin keeping, if you've heard of it. So kin keeping is essentially... Oh, I don't want to get too into it right now. But kingkeeping is like what women do behind the scenes to keep everything running smoothly, essentially. So like at Christmas and also just like in the house in general. And it really brings it to light how much that is when they go away for a period of time. The unpaid labour of women, eh? Oh, it actually infuriates me thinking about it. <laughs> I don't know that I can talk about it anymore, but just little things like, you know, the washing being on the being hung up in the kitchen for five days because no one's arsed to bring it up to the room or you know always being the one that empties the dishwasher while everyone else can see that it is full and clean but continues to stack their dirty plates in the sink do you know what I mean like all these little things and see these things when you're listening to them right now you probably think get over it like that is so tiny you can't be getting wound up by that But it's not just that. It's like the accumulation of every little thing on top of each other. By the end of the week, I was like, I'm going to murder these men. I'm actually going to murder them. I was actually really close to starting a book called Invisible Women. And then I was like, do you know what? I actually despise men as it is at the moment for multiple reasons. If I now read Invisible Women, I'm going to literally hate the world. So I'm going to hold off on that till summer, till I've relaxed a little bit. (laughs) I don't think my brain needs that right now. I am actually going out this weekend for the first time in 2023 and I'm fucking terrified. I said to my mum, or I I think I was looking in our alcohol cupboard and I was like, is there any tequila? And she was like, no, why? And I was like, oh, I was just seeing if there was any left because I thought there was in the cupboard, but I will just go and get some before the weekend. And she was like, why do you want tequila for the weekend? And I was like, mainly for going out for the first time of 2023. And she was like, Emma, I'm scared for you. She wants me to take big precautions. She was she was like, <laughs> bring food with you on the night out. Like, sorry, let me just get out my Tupperware pasta in the middle of the bar here. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely not happening. But yeah, she really wants me to take precautions. She's like, Barocca, rehydration sachets, pasta before you go out, maybe a slice of toast right before you go out, water between your drinks, all these different things she was saying. And do you know what? She is right. Because I feel like the first hangover, it's going to hit you like a ton of bricks, isn't it? So maybe I do need to follow all of her little tips. Also, they always say to like stick to the same drink all night. 
apparently once you start mixing your drinks is when you can get the worst hangover. I don't know what the science is behind that and if that's actually true, but in my head it is a little bit. I feel like any time I have stuck to vodka or stuck to tequila or stuck to beer, it's not quite as bad as when you have, you know, a cocktail of absolutely everything. I'm going to really, really try and stick to tequila the whole night. I'm going to actually make picantes. If you don't know what picantes are, they're essentially a spicy margarita, but they're like the ones that they serve in Soho House, right? And they like shake them with a fresh chilli in the shaker. And then they also shake it with agave and lime juice. So I'm going to try that, make it. I'm only going to have like one of them. And then I think I'm going to have tequila pineapple juice. If you haven't tried tequila pineapple juice and lime, it's the best alcoholic drink ever. I'm sorry, it is so elite. I refuse to hear otherwise. And I also have a no shot rule. I've had a no shot rule for a decent amount of time now. And oh, you know what I hate when you make it clear that you have a no shot rule, but then the other person goes and gets around a shot and you're like, don't do this to me. Don't put me in this situation. <laughs> I don't want to waste the shot, but I don't want to take the shot. Do you know what? As long as I can get up the next day and do something, it doesn't need to be something productive. I don't mean like that. I just mean get up and like go for a walk or go and get coffee in an acai bowl to make myself feel better. Just like do something that's not literally vegetating on the sofa or in bed all day. Then I'll be fine with myself. I won't be angry. Okay, what is my recommendation of the week? This is a really random one, but... I did this this morning and I just think it's a bit of a life hack. Do you know those days where you just can't be bothered going to the gym? You don't want to be there for like an hour and 20 minutes. Like it's just gonna, and then by the time you drive there, drive back and everything, you just don't have the time. You don't have the energy. You just can't be arsed. But you know, it's going to benefit you so much. Like it's just going to set you off on the right note for the day or if you do it in the morning or you know it'll just make you feel better when you go to sleep at night if you do it in the evening I don't know whenever you work out I have figured out a workout that I can be in and out of the gym within 30 minutes and get a full sweat on for those times when you just well don't have time or can't be bothered so then the prospect of only being in there for half an hour is a lot easier to wrap your head around okay so you want to start off on the treadmill essentially you're going to do 10 minutes of the 12 3 30 thing kind of so you're going to put the uh, incline up to 12 and you're going to put the speed on three miles per hour just be careful because every treadmill is different some are in miles some are in kilometers if it's kilometers it's 4.8 put it on that right but then try and increase it a little bit you basically want to get it as fast as you can be going without holding on to the sides or the front bear in mind this is only for 10 minutes you're not doing the 12 3 30 so you want it to be faster you want to be sweating by the two minute mark i had it on 3.4 but obviously tailor it to however fast you can do it as i said without holding on to the sides i always see videos of people holding on to the front and the sides and it just completely defeats the purpose of increasing the incline if it's too fast for you or it's too high for you just decrease the incline because you're better off doing it like that and not holding on the sides than holding on to the front, if you get me. Because if you actually think about it, when you hold on to the front and lean back, you're just completely taking away the incline. You're not just walking horizontal. Okay, so we do that for 10 minutes and then we move on to the rowing machine. We do that for five minutes. 
go ham on this again as hard as you can. Just keep thinking it's only for five minutes. And then final thing, you're going to do three sets of this. So set yourself up by one of those like ski machines. You know those ski machines where you like pull the cords down? Get yourself set up beside one of them and then also grab, I'm not actually 100% sure what you call these because I don't think it's medicine balls. But you know the balls you're able to slam and they don't bounce. You have to like slam them and then drop down to pick them up. Whereas I feel like medicine balls are the bouncy ones. I don't know. You want to get one of those weighted balls that doesn't bounce, essentially. And what you're going to do is do 45 seconds on the ski machine. Take a little quick breather, but try and move straight on to then doing the medicine ball slams. And you do that also for 45 seconds. Get your breath back and repeat that three times. So ski, medicine ball, ski, medicine ball, ski, medicine ball, 45 seconds on each one. Try not to take a break in between the two, but between the sets, obviously take a break then or you would actually potentially pass out. Depending on how fast you manage to complete all of this, so we've got 10 minutes on treadmill, 5 minutes on the rower, and then the timings of that three sets thing brings you to, that's about five minutes, but that's not including breaks. So depending on what time you get to in your workout, you might have a spare five minutes to get you to a half an hour workout. In which case, you know, you could add on another five minutes on the rower or another five minutes on the treadmill or you could even do like five minutes skipping or you could just be done with it. That's what I did this morning. I just did those three things. But yeah, I just think it's such a good intense cardio workout. You're in and out in half an hour. You don't need to think about it. Like you're just one thing to the next. It's not long enough. Like you're not doing a half an hour run, you know, it's not long enough where of one thing where it's going to be really boring. Before you know it, you're just on to the next thing. And I also just think because I'm not a runner and because, you know, I do, I do a lot of yoga and um, I do a bit of weight stuff. So I don't really do a huge amount of cardio. And I do think for like cardiovascular health, it is important every now and then to get in a few cardio workouts. But sometimes it's just a little bit intimidating. So I think doing something like this where you just know it's over in half an hour, it's so much more motivating. And I didn't, like it wasn't a struggle for me to get up this morning and go to the gym when I knew I was going to be back home within the space of 40 minutes. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, sorry for my long-winded recommendation of the week. But I just thought I would share that with you guys. Let me know if you try it out. It's nothing like groundbreaking. (laughs) I'm not saying I've invented a workout but yeah let me know if you try it and tell me what you think. Okay for my words of the week it's actually another poem. I have finished Milk and Honey by Rupi Kyer and now I'm on to what am I on to? Her other poetry book called Homebody. I'm actually nearly finished it. Yeah I, I think I preferred Milk and Honey but Homebody's still very good and I've also actually it arrived today. I got her one called the sun and her flowers. A lot of people recommended it. So I'm hoping it's just as good. I've been really enjoying all the poetry. Yeah, I'm just going to read out a little short one that I read the other night from Homebody that I thought was nice. Productivity is not how much work I do in a day, but how well I balance what I need to stay healthy. Okay, let's move on to this week's podcast topic, which is all about love and relationships. First, I want to talk about how it's kind of become like the norm to be in a couple, if that makes sense. Like the pressure is always on to be in a couple or at least be looking for your match. Oh, by the way, I'll just preface that 
uh, all these topics were kind of things that came up in the book that I read called The Unexpected Joy of Being Single. So if you, you know, I'm going to elaborate on little highlights that I took throughout the book but if you kind of like what I'm talking about definitely go and check that book out it's called The Unexpected Joy of Being Single by Catherine Gray I think. So yeah society's kind of ideal I guess you could say is being in a couple and it's very pushed on us you know from literally day dot we're watching Disney movies all about princesses being saved by their prince and it's always to do I mean we're now getting some different narratives but that's taken its time to get there it's taken a lot of years and I'd say a lot of complaints for you know them to make something like Moana that doesn't involve a prince and is all about just this girl's journey on her own but we didn't have that when I was growing up it's just very ingrained into us that you know we should always be looking for our next match type of thing basically as long as you're single you shouldn't be content. <laughs> you should be searching for your partner. Yeah, it's posted us in loads of different ways through TV and media and I don't know, I think we've got very used to it so it's kind of like a big topic of conversation. If you're single and people are like your friends, your family, whoever is like, are you dating or, you know, any anyone on the scene and if you were to turn around and be like, no, it's always like, why? <laughs> why not? Unless maybe you're literally just out of a breakup, then people wouldn't really ask that. We have an obsession with love, which I actually completely get because, you know, who doesn't love love? Love's a great feeling and it's great to be in love, but I feel like we really put the uh, the search for a romantic partner kind of like on a pedestal. It's like the number one priority it's this big quest that you should always be focused on and thinking about. And I'm sure a lot of that stems from, you know, the fact that it's written into our DNA that being in a couple is preferable in a sense. Because, you know, if back in the day when you were in your tribe, if you were single, you were a lot more vulnerable. And, you know, you maybe if you didn't have a partner, you wouldn't be able to procreate. You wouldn't have kids to then look after you. You were just like a lot more... You were basically a weaker link if you were single. Maybe we carry that idea through with us a little bit to today. Whereas now I like to survive and to do all these things. Yes, it's more expensive to do things single. I remember reading that the amount of money someone who's single compared to someone who's in like a relationship where they live together, the difference in money you spend is insane because you're obviously not splitting all of those bills and just, yeah everything that comes along with it but ultimately like you don't need to be in a couple to survive anymore but yeah I I think like as with anything that was kind of like in our DNA we do carry it through in a sense. I want to talk a little bit about how love has kind of been compared to a drug because when we first get into a relationship that starting period is really similar to a drug high apparently according to the experts. This is not me just making up things. <laughs> yeah, apparently the dopamine you get from like, you know, chasing this new person and getting all excited for when they're going to ask you for the next day and when they're going to text you back and all these things. Apparently it's very comparable to that of a drug high. And then, you know, if you don't get this hit, if the person's not texting you back, if they're 
being a little bit distant and if you're not kind of getting what you want, you can actually end up then getting symptoms that are similar to withdrawal symptoms of a drug, which is mad. (laughs) And that's kind of why they say, right, I don't know about you, but I've definitely been in relationships where the person gives you a little bit, but doesn't quite give you enough. Like they give you enough to keep you there and they give you enough to make you content to a degree but they also always leave you feeling like you want more and like you're not maybe a hundred percent secure and also as someone who has a I think I have a secure attachment style I'm not a hundred percent sure I need to read into it a bit more but as someone who thinks they are a secure attachment style to have someone give you that and make you feel like it's not secure it's the biggest mind fuck in the entire world and it's I think it really does make you more like attached to the relationship because then when you do get enough you're like oh my god yay I knew like I knew this was great I knew he had it in him or she had it in her or whatever it was you just think yeah like I knew it was going to come together but then next thing it's like back to not giving you enough again and this constant like back and forth and you know the dopamine hit when you do get it when you do chase it and then the withdrawal when you don't have it it sends you insane and I think it leaves you low-key a bit addicted to the relationship addicted to that high and low and trying to chase the dopamine hit yeah I don't know and you know the same with any addiction so let's take alcohol for example so take your regular person who finds alcohol pleasurable when they you know look at a cocktail the pleasurable, I don't know what you call it in your brain, but basically the bit in your brain that is to do with pleasure, that's what lights up when you see the alcohol. Whereas you take someone who is heavily addicted to alcohol, they would have had that at the start where the pleasure center in the brain would have lit up. But now when they look at it, it's a completely different part of their brain lighting up. It's like the habit slash addiction part of their brain that's lighting up. So they don't necessarily actually even like or find pleasure in this activity anymore, but they are heavily addicted to it. And to me, I think that is really, really evident in relationships, in toxic relationships, right? For example, take, say one of your friends has been, or you maybe listening to this, or someone you know has been in a really toxic relationship Think about towards the end of that relationship when you actually probably despise that other person. When I say despise, I mean like you hated their guts. But for some reason, you kept on going back to the relationship even though you knew it wasn't good for you. And that to me is the exact same as when you're addicted to a drug. That is you like knowing that you don't like them and knowing that you don't, there's no pleasure there whatsoever. The pleasure part of your brain is not active whatsoever, but you're continuously going back to them and it's because you're addicted to it. So there's this thing called reward uncertainty and basically like scientists have trialed this with rats and I think probably loads of other animals, but basically when animals are being tested on this and they know they're going to get rewarded with food every time they push a lever they'll eventually slow down and stop pushing the lever because it's boring to them. They just, they know they're going to get food. It's not a challenge. You know, that's like a healthy relationship, essentially. That is sometimes why people say when they're in healthy relationships, it can actually, for people that have been in toxic relationships before, it can almost feel a bit boring because it's so secure and so healthy and you're not getting that hit of dopamine and you're not getting that, you know, uncertainty of are they coming, are they going? 
which is actually why I think people that have a history of toxic relationships can find it quite difficult to establish healthy relationships and break those habits. It's 100% doable. Don't listen to this and think, oh my God, I've been in a toxic relationship. I'm never going to be able to get out of one. Like I'm always going to repeat these behaviours. You 100% can, but that's why I think it's really easy to fall into the cycle again because you think, ah, this is boring. Give me more. Give me something. (laughs) Let's create something out of nothing here. (laughs) So whereas when the animal can't predict the certainty of the reward, so like before they were pushing the lever, they were just getting food every time. If they can't predict whether that's certainly going to come out, the food's going to come out, this lack of control increases the limbic system's activity. I don't know what the limbic system is, but what I do know is when that increases, you release more dopamine. So essentially when someone plays hard to get and you get the whole, you know, are they going to text me back? Are they seeing other people? All these different things going through your head that are uncertain, then when you do get what you want, when you do get rewarded, you're getting that dopamine hit and then you just start to chase it and chase it and chase it. Next, I want to talk about dating apps and how we now kind of have this endless scrolling, like endless possibilities of people we can meet. They don't even have to live in the same city as you anymore for you to date someone. Now, although this is great and opens up, you know, a whole plethora of people that you would have never been exposed to before, you would have never had the opportunity to meet maybe because, you know, you're just not in the same social circles, you don't necessarily go to the same places, maybe your maybe your age gap means that you just wouldn't have hung out at the same places, but that doesn't mean you're not extremely compatible. So, you know, on one hand, it's amazing that you can do this. But on the other hand, you've now got this unlimited list of people in the world where you could literally, you can swipe onto Tinder and never find the end, probably. Like I'd say in a big city like in London, you could probably go your whole life never actually reaching the end of Tinder. And I think this mass amount of options means, first of all, people get overwhelmed. As with any situation where you have too many options, whether it's people, whether it's types of bread in the supermarket, (laughs) like when you have too many options of something, I think a lot of the time you're just like, you kind of just throw your hands up in the air and you're like, oh, I don't know. Like, what? how am I supposed to choose? It's like (laughs) when you, I don't shop in Pretty Little Thing, but when I used to, I just remember there literally being hundreds of pages and just being like, how is anyone supposed to ever pick something when there's literally hundreds of pages? Like I would rather open it up and there'd be four pages of things. I'd probably be able to pick an outfit better between that. But we don't support Pretty Little Thing here. Sorry. There was a study done, right, where they offered shoppers either six different types of jam or 24 different types of jam. So the people who were offered the 24 jams, they were more likely to stop and taste it and be like, wow, all these jams. But they were 10 times less likely to actually buy anything. Whereas the people that were offered six different types of jams or like the stall that only had the six options, it sold 10 times more than the other one. I feel like that says a lot, really. I mean, I know we're talking about jams, so not exactly the same thing, (laughs) but it's quite telling of how we react when we're exposed to so many options. 
I think it makes people less committal. Is committal a word? Something's telling me committal is not a word. Let me look it up. Okay, committal is a word, but I don't think it makes any sense in what I just said. It's telling me that it's the action of sending a person to prison or psychiatric hospital, or it's the burial of a dead body. I think what I mean to say is it makes people more non-committal. That makes more sense. Because, you know, in your head, if you go on a first date, it's okay. There's no, like, sparks flying. But, you know, they're a nice person. You could see it progressing if you gave it the time of day. But then in the back of your head, you're like, oh, but there's, you know, a million other people I could put my time and energy into. How are you ever supposed to commit to someone when you'll always have that in the back of your head when you're dating? Again, there's good things about this. Like, you know, if someone starts to show toxic traits or someone starts to show manipulative behaviour, maybe it's a lot easier now to get out because you know in your head there's so many more fish in the sea. So you're like, fuck this, I'm jumping ship. I'm not getting involved in a toxic relationship with this person. I have no idea what their history is like and who they are. Do you know what? That is something that really freaks me out about dating apps. The fact that you can just meet people that you genuinely know nothing about. Like all the people I have dated before, I've kind of known. Like I've had mutual friends or some type of mutual connection or I've been friends with them before or... I don't know, there's been something there. You know they're not a crazy person. I mean, maybe they are a crazy person in other ways, but do you know what I'm saying? You know they're not going to murder you. (laughs) It's crazy because if you compare, you know, the kind of dating scene now and what it means to be single versus in a relationship now compared to a hundred years ago, the difference is insane. Like a hundred years ago single women would literally die of starvation because they weren't allowed to work, they weren't allowed to have a bank account, they weren't allowed to sleep around, they literally, they weren't allowed to do anything unless they, like, the whole part of, the whole thing about marriage was, like, your father passing you over to, like, the next man. Like, it's actually quite fucked up when you think about it. (laughs) Like, where it has all stemmed from is really weird to me. And that's why I have a really weird thing about dads walking their daughters down the aisle. Look, I know it's a tradition. I know it's the done thing. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. If that's what you've done or if that's what you want to do, it's so fine. But I think I've really overthought where that actually comes from to the point where I'm like, that is gross. If you think you're handing me over to another man like I'm a piece of property, you may think again. So yeah, the fact that women can actually choose now to be single is a great thing in itself without being like shunned from society. (laughs) So I guess in a sense there definitely isn't as much pressure to be in a relationship in the same way there was then. And I think also back then it wasn't so much about love, like it wasn't really all about finding the love of your life and you know creating a future together and having kids together. It was more just like this is the done thing, our parents are friends, you're going to marry this person or this is who we have in mind type of thing. Maybe not necessarily like quite so arranged as that, but it was just, yeah, you got married young. It didn't matter if you didn't love them. They'll do type of vibe. Whereas that whole they'll do thing has completely changed. It's still quite prevalent in some countries and some cultures. 
I remember reading in this book, The Unexpected Joy of Being Single, about something to do with when someone was speaking to women in another country and they were asked, you know, if they loved their husbands and apparently they all just laughed in the person's face and were like, no, obviously not. But, you know, they'll do. I have, I've got kids with them and they put food on the table and that's that. We've got a life together. So, you know, it's definitely still a thing in some places. But I feel like that's not so much of a thing here anymore. However, there is still like a big pressure to have this normalcy. Why do I keep making up words? Normalcy? Wait, what? Okay, no, I just looked it up. That's a word. And that makes complete sense. What was I saying? Oh yeah, the pressure to have this normalcy of, you know, getting married, having kids, buying a house, living happily ever after, which we all know isn't true. I'm pretty sure half of marriages end in divorce. That's the thing about marriage is I feel like a lot of people think they, a lot of people strive for this, right? They have marriage in their heads. This is what they want. This is what they're looking for. This is what their life's going to look like before they've actually met the person. Like what if we took a step back for a second, forgot about marriage, forgot about kids, forgot about this future down the line and just thought about, you know, your relationship with the person at the time and whether you guys are compatible, instead of rushing into thinking, oh my God, we're going to get married, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Because ultimately nothing is certain. And just because you get married, just because you put a ring on it, just because you have a big ceremony, it still doesn't make everything certain. The only thing certain is if you have kids with them, then you're always going to have kids with them. That That is for certain. I can tell you that. <laughs> Wait, but how mad is this actually, just before we move on, because I was talking about, you know, women back in the day, it not really being an option of not getting married unless you wanted to be shunned from society and starved to death. So... How crazy is this? Irish women couldn't buy a house outright without a male co-signee until 1976. 1976, that wasn't even that long ago. We're talking 30 years ago, guys. Women also couldn't open a bank account in their own name until 1975 in the UK. And single women couldn't apply for a loan or a credit card without their father's signature and permission even if they earned more than their father until the mid-70s. Can we just take a moment to think about that and the fact that that was not long ago? Like, that's when our parents were... I don't know where my parents were born, actually, and I can't be bothered working that out right now, but our parents were alive then. That's not long ago. That only seems like yesterday. So stats will tell you that, you know, more people are choosing to be single or maybe not necessarily choosing to be single, but more people are single. They say there's like a single epidemic. What that probably is actually just a result of is just the fact that women can be single now. Like they actually just can in terms of they can work and they can have a bank account and they can buy a house if they want to and they can survive on their own. Whereas before they actually couldn't. Okay, next I want to talk briefly about this whole other half term that actually makes me feel physically sick. I very consciously do not use this term ever. And if I ever hear those words coming out of anyone's mouth, my other half. Look, I don't think most people that use that term actually use it consciously in a way where they actually mean that they are their other half and that they're incomplete without that other person. Although, actually, maybe that's not right because I think a lot of people do kind of believe this. 
some people spend their lives not doing everything that they want to do and not being the people that they want to be because they're kind of waiting for that perfect quotation marks that perfect person to come along and for them to then be that person with them if that makes sense so let's say you live with your parents and you're extremely messy and you can't cook but you know in your head you're gonna have to be a bit tidier and you're gonna have to be able to cook at some point so you tell yourself you know when I have my when me and my partner are together and we live together I just I'll be that person then it's fine I don't need to worry about it now I will be that person then. Or maybe you've always wanted to travel. That's always been something that's on your mind. And now you're seeing everyone else do it and you're thinking, oh, I really want to do this, but I'm going to wait until, you know, I have my person to do it with. So we kind of like leave all these blank spaces in our lives, not fully completing ourselves, not doing all the things we want to do in waiting for this person to come along. And then what happens if that person does come along and then maybe they do add to your life in all those ways that you wanted them to and all of a sudden it's the best thing ever and you're now complete because of this other person. They are your other half. And then what if you break up? Does your world come shattering down? Do you now not have the life that you wanted because you weren't able to do that yourself? It's really, really important regardless of whether you're in a relationship or not. If you're single or if you're in a relationship and you're listening to this, it's so important to live your life in the way you want to live it. If you're single and you're waiting for the person to come along to be able to go traveling, stop waiting. Just do what you want to do. If you're in a relationship and maybe your partner can't get the time off to do something that you want to do, but you're like, oh, but I can't do it without them. Like I'm so reliant on them or I don't want them to feel like they're missing out. Just do it. You will only regret the things that you don't do. And if you put all of your happiness and all of your your whole life essentially and leave yourself incomplete in a sense so someone else can come along and complete it, no wonder you're going to be left feeling incomplete when that ends. There's definitely a level of like dependency in a way that you want to be able to have with your partner you know you want to be able to rely on them for lots of different things in your life for comfort for joy for love for connection for emotional support like you do want to be able to depend on your partner for all of these things but ultimately you don't want to have to depend on your partner for your happiness and for your entire life you'll never have a fully healthy relationship unless to people can come together and elevate each other's lives. Now I'm not saying you need to literally be like I feel like when people talk about this it's often left out that you can you can still go through hardships in a relationship. You can still have like, you know, your bad mental health periods. You can still have a lot of work to do on yourself in terms of I don't think you need to be fully what's the word? I don't think you need to be fully like evolved to be in a relationship or anything because well everyone's always evolving and growing and learning so that's actually kind of impossible but you do definitely need to have your own life and then someone can come in and add to that as opposed to you know you not really being happy in your life and you not being happy with where you are and what you're doing maybe who you are as a person what you're spending your time doing but then someone comes along and all of a sudden yeah done sorted 
let's get married, let's have kids. Like what about all those little things that you didn't give any time to that could really benefit you in your life and could also benefit your partner then because you'll be a happier, more fulfilled person. Which is why it is really important when you are single. I know it's so cliche to say, and I know I said it probably so much on my last episode, but it is so important to work on yourself and to build your own life and your own hobbies and your other relationships and everything else in your life essentially. Because the more you can have that, the less dependent you will be on someone else to give you that and the less likely you'll be to end up in a toxic relationship or end up in a relationship that doesn't serve you in the way that it should. Like your standards automatically are going to be so much higher if you're already very content and happy in your life as it is and you already feel fulfilled with your current relationships and you know you feel like you give and receive a lot of love in all your relationships, you've got a lot of hobbies, you don't maybe have the most amount of time to give to someone else, your standards are going to be so high for someone to be able to come in and benefit you essentially and to add to that life that you already have. Anyway, I'm not really sure how we got here, as always. (laughs) But yeah, that's all I have to say about love and relationships today. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you did, remember to give me a little five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. You can also actually click the little bell button in Spotify and it means every time a new episode is released, you will get notified. But yeah, if you enjoyed this week's episode, please share it with your friends, with your family, on your Instagram story. Show me where you're listening to it. Also remember to vote in this week's poll. Just swipe up on Spotify and you'll be able to take part in the little poll. Big shout out to George Gill for my intro and outro music. I will leave all his links in the description. As always, thank you all so much for your continued love and support. It honestly means the absolute world to me. I will speak to you guys in next week's episode. Bye.